0: Welcome to the world's greatest Bronze Age Spider-Man podcast. Here comes the Spider-Cast. I'm your co-host, Mike Allen, as always, been
1: joined by... Joshua Mervell, and today we're going to be talking about the six-part saga of The uh, Craven's Last Hunt. That's right. So this is kind
0: of a double episode. We'll see how long it goes. Uh, <laughs> joining us as usual is G.I. Jolie. Hello. Woo! All right. Thanks for joining us, G.I. Jolie. Yeah. We are now COVID-free, so now you can go without a mask, you can talk in people's faces,
2: right? Oh. I'm going to spit directly into people's mouths. Right, good.
3: You Woo! can get paid good money for that, too. <laughs>
2: I hear. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for you the link, That. <laughs>
0: Alright, and as you've already heard, also joining us this week, Bexley Thor. You
3: could tell it was me being here because I made an inappropriate joke at the beginning of the show. <laughs>
2: um,
0: <laughs> whoops. Whoops. <laughs> Okay, and also for the first time ever, it only took us what is this, 127, 127 episodes, but finally we've got our pal Tim Gerard from Border City Comics. Thanks for
4: joining us, Tim. Hey, everybody! It's good to be here.
0: Woo! All right. Yay. So, look, first, is this your first ever appearance on any podcast?
4: Uh, I think it is actually.
0: Yeah. Wow, interesting. Well, just so you know, we produce about three of okay. them. <laughs> so, as well as we guest star and like three other ones so we're doing these like all like this is pretty much all we do this is my only social life so
4: yeah it's <laughs> a lot of people's Not- only social life yep Yeah. That's right what you're now
0: wrong <laughs> <laughs> so anyway okay so we're gonna let's briefly so this is a pretty famous story in the last week i uh made an offhand comic that made people snicker i called this fearful symmetry first of all because that's the original title and everyone thought i mispronounced it but there is a reason I called it that, and that's because this story features a poem
1: mm-hmm.
0: by, what's his name? Who was it again?
1: Uh, I know, the, the tiger, right? Yeah, yeah. The, mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I can't remember who it was. I've got it saved here somewhere. The first thing I want to say, I, I'm not sure if you realize it's, it's, wi- it's William Blake. William Blake, okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that J.M. Demetrius just had a great idea for a story based on that poem, or do you think he just read Watchmen and scooped it from Watchmen?
1: No, this is uh, actually.
4: Uh, oh, sorry. Tim. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Go ahead. You, was it? Was that question directed at me?
0: Yeah, Tim. Yeah. Oh, I just, okay. I know, because, yeah. Because it was used in Watchmen. The original by William Blake is "Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bright" in the forests of the night. What a myrtle hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? Yeah,
4: so, I, I, think, don't, I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Oh no, go ahead. Um, I don't know if he if he if he used that as inspiration. I know that. He, he read a lot of, like, uh, he was inspired by a lot of Russian writers, like Dostoevsky and mm. that. Uh, a lot of, like, uh, a lot of stuff concerning, like, the duality of human nature and stuff. But I know he's inspired by that, but I, as far as, like, the Watchmen connection, I have no idea.
0: Okay. I, I only say that because I know that um, Grant Morrison sort of accused writers of doing that, of just reading Watchmen and just not even getting their own... Poems and literary references, just scooping them from mm. Watchmen and other British writers. But whatever, who knows? I, don't
1: I, know. I think I think too. Um, if it was on purpose, I think it was not necessarily like a taking this format. I think it's also supposed to um, show the duality of like darkness in comics as well. Especially around this time, this story is a darker story. Um, and it is coming after like Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, but it's not about our our character being dark. It's it's about the villain and the mm-hmm. character overcoming that, right? So I think it's supposed to also show the symmetry of that our hero is not that dark hero. He's not the vigilante that um, is like super popular around this time. This is Peter Parker. This is Spider Man. This is who he is, not. Who Craven thinks he is. So, even if it is a direct rip from Watchmen, I think it might actually just enhance it that much more. Sure. Okay.
0: Okay. So, another thing uh, before we jump into this. Um, so, looking at J.M. Demetrius, there's like, you know, I go on these Facebook pages, there's a lot of people that hate him strictly based on his writing in the late 70s and early 80s. Because by doing this show and other podcasts, we've come across his writing on things like The Defenders and Marvel Mm -hmm. team up, and we have a very poor impression of his early career. However, when I came into comics in the late 80s and early 90s, I was exposed to him through Justice League International, which was excellent. Mm -hmm. Uh, G.I. Julie, you mentioned you'd read, I think, Moonshadow, right? What? Okay, (laughs) I guess not. (laughs) His his stuff,
1: too, in the early 90s at the beginning of the Clone Saga is really great, too. Um, And, like... I, everybody knows how much I dislike Marvel Team Up, but right. the best issues of Marvel Team Up happen to be by J.M. DeMatteis, and it are and it's always those issues that are like slow and quiet and and more of a character study than this big like action thing that's supposed to you know right uh, draw right. in draw in readers. It's the slower ones that are the best. Like Marvel Team Up, I think it's like nine. Uh, 110 or something like that it's the team up with gargoyle it's my favorite marvel team up issue it's so fantastic i think the only thing spider manny that he does is he stops like somebody getting mugged and then the rest is just like him dealing with personal issues and relating with gargoyle and like their relationship together it's fantastic
0: and the thing is is even if he did have some really rough patches or rough uh uh you know skills to iron out early in his career clearly he did better work later on he ended up writing in television he's written for batman brave and the Bold, uh justice league unlimited uh superboy you know on and on and on Teen tw- Teen titans go you know tv i think has got a slightly higher standard of quality than comic books you know it's, there's infinitely more money to be made so he, if he wasn't a good writer he wouldn't be getting work in those fields i don't think so yeah mm-hmm. he's a good writer uh, other than this story tim and justice league which we mentioned what's your experience with damn Demetrius uh
4: kind of like you i kind of came into him a little bit later um but i loved stuff like Moonshadow, mm-hmm. uh all the epic stuff he did like blood of tail right uh and of course whoops my earphones falling up, um and then of course uh craven's last hunt of course um so that kind of stuff more than his uh, his mainstream dc stuff and marvel stuff sure sure
0: okay so now with this story let's just talk about the reputation quickly You did you buy the story right off the stands when it came out?
4: I did. I did. In fact, I have all the the issues. The one of the issues even has the Canadian price markered out. I mean, the American ah, price. Right. So I bought it right off the Canadian newsstand.
0: Very cool. So, what I mean, this seems like it would have stuck out a little bit at the time. It was the first time I think all three Spider Man titles crossed over with one story. Was it kind of like a big event at the time it came out?
4: Uh. Yeah, I think it was because, like you said, all the covers had, like, uh, like a uniform trade dress. All the covers were these Stark covers by Mike Zack, And I think, you, like you said, it was the first time that they had crossed over three titles. I know they wanted to take over, instead of having it be, like, over six months, they wanted to take over all three titles and, and have it done in, like, two months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, it definitely seemed like a big deal. I mean, I, I missed it right when it came out, but I got it soon after. And it, it always felt like it was kind of... Um... You know, it, 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 was to, it was to Spider-Man what maybe, uh, Death in the Family was to Batman or Ten Nights of the Beast or something, right? It was just that yeah. one series that everything kind of kept going back to and referring to. But anyway, so now we're going to talk about the story. Now, I don't know if I should mention this now or later, but Tim, I remember in conversations, you have said, in your opinion, this is the greatest Spider-Man story ever read, right? Or ever written, that, right?
4: That, that is true.
0: Okay. But to mm-hmm. be fair, you're not a huge Spider-Man fan.
4: That's also true. <laughs> well, I was, I was a big Spider-Man fan as a kid. Um, but I haven't been... I haven't read a lot of Spider-Man, truthfully, in the last 10 or 15 years.
0: Okay. Um,
4: okay. But it's still... Even rereading it, though, today, I still think it's... If not the best, it's got to be one of the best Spider-Man stories ever done.
0: Okay, okay. So now we're going to jump into what this story is. And Josh, you're going to tell us what the plot is of Craven's last time.
1: Right. Okay, so... <sighs> Uh, right off the bat, we're kind of reintroduced to Craven the Hunter. Um, he is a Russian uh, uh, man who immigrated to America when he was younger with his family. Um, and he's kind of like had a pretty rough upbringing. So he decided to kind of uh, let go of humanity and kind of reinvent himself in the wilds of the jungle. So he's kind of like a famous uh spidey villain uh at the time he was maybe less so um but this kind of brought him back into uh the light so we're kind of introduced to him and what's going on in in his life we cut over to spidey and uh uh he is mourning the death of uh like just like a random thug so he kind of like stops by the funeral and pays his respects, and uh, we see Craven is kind of like obsessing over the fact that he wants to um, to have this like final last hunt, like the 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 last thing he wasn't able to to track down and destroy and kill, which would be Spider Man. So um he ends up tracking him down and like using a blow dart to knock him out and he shoots him and buries him alive um and it's presumed that spider-man is just dead uh he makes a costume a spider-man costume of his own and starts kind of like swinging around new york acting as um spider-man himself all while um a supervillain named the vermin who uh i think we read about a while back um i think we did
0: yeah In Marvel yeah
1: right yeah he it was spidey and captain america uh and they had to actually team up to defeat this guy he's kind of like a pretty powerful villain he kind of feels like um uh almost like a werewolf but more like rat-like and he can't transform back like he's lost all of his humanity um he's kind of resurfaced surfaced and he's like stealing people in the streets of new york and eating them so uh it's getting pretty dark mj is wondering where spider-man is because peter has just like gone missing um and the world is starting to notice that spider-man is also missing so she's kind of like not sure what to do uh because they are just recently married and everything uh craven decides to kind of like take some psychedelics because he's he's feeling like maybe he hasn't completely taken over the the spider-man thing he hasn't he doesn't feel like he has um really been able to embody the spider as he calls it so he kind of like starts fighting with himself and realizes what he has to do is to uh do the one thing that Spider-Man was never able to do which was defeat (coughs) and kill a villain by himself so he goes and tracks down Vermin uh, and brings him back to his lair and uh, all while Peter Parker, Spider-Man is um, escaping from the grave and uh, he runs over to uh, MJ, they kind of reunite Uh, he realizes he has to go back out and save the day still so he runs after Kraven and Kraven kind of stops him and, and tells him like I'm not hunting anymore. This is it like I'm, I'm not killing but I need to show you something so he shows him uh, the vermin trapped in, a, in an electrical cage and he uh, releases him and makes Spider-Man and uh, vermin fight each other uh, and uh, Vermin gets away and Spider-Man chases him uh, while uh, he's on the chase, like they're they're on the run, like Spider-Man and, and Vermin, Craven actually commits suicide. Um, and uh, the the last part of this story, Spider-Man tracks down the Vermin and does not kill him, but captures him and turns him over to the police and uh, tries to help him to like <laughs> re- rehabilitate him back into like a human again. So that's kind of like the gist of everything without having to go issue by issue, but um, I don't know. Is there, is there anything important that I missed from the recap? Like, I feel like that is pretty much like the plot. That's pretty much it, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Um, well, you know what? Okay, let's just jump to, uh,
0: here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read this many times. My impression of rereading it this time because I've just finished reviewing seven years of spider-man comic the first thing is is this is very different from everything else that came before it mm-hmm. and my impression of reading this comic is this feels like a batman story with spider-man inserted into it okay so i read wikipedia and it turns out this was written as a batman story
1: well yeah and before that it was actually a power man story
0: yeah w- sir. who Power Man. What, sorry, oh, Wonder, pa- Man. Wonder, what, Wonder, Wonder Man. Wonder Man. Sorry, right, right. Wonder yes, Man. Yes, Wonder I forgot about that part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Wonder Man, then it was written as Batman. <coughs> However, the general vibe of the story, like if you had the narration <laughs> and the, the mood and the art, it just felt like, it, it seems like they're imprinting a, um, a Batman style of a story onto the Spider-Man comics. I'm not going to talk about the quality of that story, but that was my general feeling of it. But Tim, I just want to know your reaction to rereading it after so many years. What, what did you feel about the story?
4: Well, I didn't know it was a Batman story initially. I knew it was a, a Wonder Man story initially. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's still... It's such a it's such a dark, dark story. I mean, it really is. And I think it's... I, I mean, I don't know... Uh, I mean, it's got to be the darkest story in, from that time period, right? I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. anything Spider-Man even came close to that at that point.
0: Well, there was... Like, really? Like, there was, like, the death of Gene DeWolf. There was things like that that came close yeah, but this, to this
4: but this was with like this was friend. like no. no yeah this was like really um, this was I don't want to say sinister but because that's not really does doesn't really do it justice but the fact that it, he uh, he wants to like kill spider-man he doesn't want to kill spider-man he wants to best spider-man it's like the mm. elusive the the one prey that got away from him right so he wants to um, he basically he's lost his honor he feels uh, he's disillusioned with the world the way it is and he just wants... But he wants to defeat Spider-Man. And he doesn't want to just defeat him, though. He wants to defeat him and let him... Like, he wants to basically kill him, but let him know that he could have killed him. You know, he wants him to know right. that he defeated him. Because otherwise, it doesn't mm-hmm. do him any good. Um, and then to bury him. And then to take over the, the Spider-Man and become a better Spider-Man in his mind, anyway, than Peter Parker ever was. Um, I don't know. It's just super dark. And then for that that whole scene where he, he basically... Has that picture of his family and walks up. Sorry, uh, walks up, grabs grabs a shotgun and puts it in his mouth. I mean, that's that's horrendous. Right, Mm. it's
0: it's pretty morbid. Yeah, I'll give you that. Like, it's something that I would be shocked to see today. And this is 1987. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with that. And also the fact that Spider Man is buried and sort of comes back and yeah, it's pretty relentless. Again, I guess the closest thing to at this time would have been something like a Frank Miller, Daredevil or Frank Miller Batman story, probably right.
4: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I mean Miller was doing a lot of this kind of dark stuff, but right.
0: Okay, well let's. I don't think it was quite
4: as poetic, though.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So we'll jump around a little bit. Gi, Julie, what's your impression of the story?
2: It's super dark. Um, It's. It almost felt. Initially, I was confused. When I was reading the first issue, it was confusing. I couldn't tell whose thought bubbles or whose narration boxes were supposed to be whose, and also they kind of th- there was kind of like this overlay of time that was going on that was a little confusing, because Craven seems to be narrating a story while, uh, but also the story of how he's gotten or bested Peter Parker. We finally get to the end where we see it, but um, I feel like it takes too long to get there. And he, he just is like the is just brooding for the whole the whole issue, the first issue at least. And it was kind of annoying um, and a little pretentious. Anytime anybody uses William Blake. <laughs> Tomb Raider, one of my favorite films, starring Angelina Jolie, also uses a William Blake poem, but it's the most pretentious part of it, and it, and it's it's like they they chose the most literal part, like the yeah the most literal part of the poem or the song, um, like just the words "fearful symmetry." It's almost as if that guided the story. Uh, I though I will say that I've learned enough about Craven to be shocked that, uh, uh, about his suicide at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I wasn't it was hard to be delighted by this book. <clears throat> we just came out of the marriage. so the darkness of this contrasting with the marriage seems like kind of like a downer.
1: Mhm.
2: So that I think that's kind of where I like I wasn't expecting how I wasn't expecting it to do a complete 180 from where we had just left off. That's all. I thought, "Oh, hey Craven, cool. Next bad guy." Most television shows and most comics kind of set that up a little bit. This one they just go right for the head mm-hmm. and cut mm-hmm. it right off. Like they didn't wait for us to breathe. They're like, "Okay, He's married to Mary Jane. Now we're going to put him in the grave. Mm-hmm. And it was like really <laughs> abrupt, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I, I had read this before, like many times, but uh, I had never read it in succession. Chronol- yeah. Right. Chron- chronologically with the marriage. So I never realized how close they were. I thought for some reason this was like an 88, 89, like getting closer to the 90s story when things started to kind of go a little bit more on the darker tone with his story. So, yeah, I was definitely also surprised that this um, this story takes place now.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, now, Becca, your first impression. What do you think, Craven's uh, last I've, time?
3: I read this years ago okay. in high school, and I loved it then, and I love it now, but it is really jarring. To just read about Mm -hmm. peter parker coming home from his honeymoon and then he gets killed by crave it's like Mm -hmm. again i'm with josh i didn't know that that was i thought there was a little bit of a gap in between those two stories um it seems like everything about the marriage is very abrupt they were like oh peter's gonna get married okay uh like are we gonna build up to it no (laughs) next issue (laughs) next issue he's married next issue they're in like if they had been married, I think for like a year or two at this point, this story would have made a lot more sense in continuity mm-hmm. sake because of like this, this love that Peter and Mary Jane have in this arc is, is, is great. I love it. But in the continuity sake, it is very funny mm-hmm. because they just, they just came back from their honeymoon.
0: <laughs> and it's two weeks. She is, he is missing for two, two
2: weeks. Two weeks.
1: Yeah.
2: She hasn't called the like, at all. Like they weren't Jolie. in Paris. You're muted. Oh, two weeks <laughs> has gone by and she hasn't called the cops at all. Yeah.
3: Well, he's Spider-Man. So. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, but, still. no, I I love this story, mm-hmm. and everyone always says how dark this story is, and I don't see it that way. Yeah, there's a suicide. <laughs> like, I get it. But to me, it's like, the, Craven stays, he's like, I'm 70. This is the end of my life. He's like, let's go with a bang. It's v- And then every part of him misinterpreting Peter as a whole is just very... It makes you remember how great of a person Peter is and mm-hmm. how, like, how bright... And, like, when... Especially right at the end, when Peter comes out of the sewer and it's daylight, it's like that, that symbolism of, like, yeah, Peter Parker represents the sun. He is not Batman. He is not the dark and broody... My parents are dead. boohoo Is me. I mean, I mean, yeah, sometimes. But he is quipping in this. He's he's like, why am I making jokes? That's just who mm-hmm. he is. He can't not. He's he is the son, and especially in this, him going through the process of like realizing that yeah, one day he's gonna die, and then he does, <laughs> kind of, and just just that that coming back to it and realizing that he has this fear and he's a man. He's human technically. So, I just, I found it more uplifting than dark. Yes, a man does kill himself, um, but that's also kind of, I don't know, it's very foreshadowed, at least for me. I feel like he's talking about like, what's, like, he's saying, like, I'm old, I'm dying, whatever, like, that's, this is gonna be it for me. Um, it is pretty, like, grotesque, I will say, for, like, I guess that's the point. It's very dark. But, like, mm-hmm. there's just, like, a lot of blood. Mm. Um, it is a... But, yeah, I, I just... I don't know. I really enjoy this story. And I'm with Tim. It is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories of all time. Because, yeah, there's a little bit of fighting. Yeah, there's a little bit of this. But at the core of it, it shows you how good of a man Peter is. And that's the whole point. Is that he's not just a vigilante who punches people because mm-hmm. they're doing bad things he's a genuinely good person he feels love he feels fear he is that's why we all like spider-man right because we can put ourselves into him so easily we all feel these things we're all spider-man right mm-hmm. it's just I, I i have less to say because i always have so much to say about the things that i don't like right
0: mm-hmm. right i understand yeah. And then
3: it's hard to like Phrase why you enjoy something more than why you dislike something. I think I could be like, Oh, I didn't like this because it was sexist, and I'd be like, Well, I'd like this because it makes me feel feelings.
1: Mm-hmm. Like. No, I, I think okay. you're totally right, though, because uh, a lot of dark stories are dark because like gruesome and bad things are happening, and it's supposed to be dark and brooding. Where this is like, it's a dark story that still celebrates that. P- and, and show showcases why Peter Parker is the perfect person to be Spider-Man and why even after all of the stuff that's happening to him, he is who he is and why uh, people look up to him and why he's a hero. Um, Craven trying like not, not being able to differentiate the spider versus the man. Um, and it's kind of said through like the dialogue and how he only really ever refers to him to him as the spider and never spider-man um until i think the end when he starts talking to them almost as if they're two different people um yeah it's it's really uh it really is a story more about craven and then um kind of dovetails into why peter is Uh, And always will be Spider-Man.
0: So uh, one thing I noticed, uh, Tim, on this show, we review every Spider-Man comic from the 80s. The quality of these comics is like this, right? It's summer great, summer crap. There's fill-ins, like 80%, not 80, but like 25% of the comics are fill-ins, right? Uh, (laughs) And then even in a good issue, there's always like scenes that, you know, they have to explain or flashback or reference. Now, one of the things I loved about this issue or the uh, story, is that it, it felt very modern because there was zero references to continuity, zero flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that this felt a little bit more modern in the way that it was written? Did you notice that at all? Or,
4: um, I mean, maybe I, I noticed it. I don't know if I noticed it so much then. I mean, I knew it, was, it stood above everything else at that point, but I still think it does feel probably like you read a lot of comics from that era and they don't feel as fresh as this one does right so right. yeah to answer your question i guess i guess yes um but i mean part of it is part of it is uh in matthias is is is, is the way he approaches uh his stories the way he structures them like a lot of the uh the scenes early on where he's uh you have you know the story's taking place and you have the 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 panel at the bottom where it's foreshadowing they're digging the grave right and they're digging spider-man's grave and that kind of follows through the issue a bit and then in the latter half of the series they're digging a grave again they're foreshadowing craven's Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm, burial so it's yeah i think he uses some devices that a lot of writers at that time weren't using i mean outside of guys like alan moore and stuff but but for sure
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I feel. I feel like, and I'm not saying everything comes from Alan Moore, but clearly it was like sort of Alan Moore and Frank Miller were, everything's kind of in their wake at this point, right? And in a typical Spider-Man comic that we would review, there's no way they could get away with that kind of, you know, like having a little, basically you have a subplot at the bottom of every page, right? They couldn't get away with that in a typical Spider-Man comic because they got to have a flashback. They got to have a reference. They got to have, aunt may over for dinner they got to have a a scene at the daily bugle and they couldn't get away with that kind of planning and so the good thing about this is i feel like it's almost like uh, i hate to use the word graphic novel but it feels like a a perfect complete story that just happened to be in individual issues of spider-man and i'm glad it was right because if this came out now it would be either if it was dc it'd be black label right if it was marvel it would be a special Graphic novel or some kind of thing, but I'm glad that it happened in the individual issues of Spider-Man, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think it elevated the whole run, in my opinion.
4: So, oh yeah, I think so too. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think the reason why it feels so modern is because we we have been reading so many Spidey comics from the '80s, and I love I love most of them, but (laughs) they you can tell that they're written in the '80s. They have that like that like some of them still have that like golden age, like seventies feel to them where this does feel more um, separated from that. But at the same time, it's timeless. Like it can fit. Like if this came out today, it would feel the exact same. I think.
0: Yeah. I think you're Uh, right. Like uh 99%. You're
4: right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no reason to really update anything. Yeah.
4: No. Yeah. What you were saying, Mike, Sorry, sorry, oh, Josh. Go, go no, 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 no. No, I was gonna say what you were saying about the not really refer, re, like referencing too much of the the earlier stuff. I think do, do they not mention something about they just got married and yeah. then and then he has that one fever dream about Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds. But yeah. Of, uh, but outside of that, you're right. It doesn't really reference anything else. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: you're right. And maybe, I mean, the marriage is, I mean, unavoidable. But the Ned Leeds thing, I actually felt like that was a little bit. It took me out of it a little bit because. <clears laughs> We've been reading, like we're reading these. We're reading these weekly. <laughs> I couldn't imagine being a lot like reading these in 1987 and going, "Okay, Ned Leeds died like three months ago, or three months ago," and they're talking about it like it was yesterday. But there's also three issues every month, so we've read like 20 issues of Spider-Man where Ned we Ned Leeds just died an hour ago. But he's always just died an hour ago. You know what I mean? Because the continuity so screwed up all the writers. So that that, that was a little bit jarring for me. But other than that, I had no issue with the continuity or anything.
1: I also cannot believe that they did this throughout all three books. Especially with how things were at the time. Mm -hmm. Where the stories just did not match up. Going back to what you were saying with Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds died like months before it even happened in the comics because it happened in the uh uh was it an annual spider-man wolverine right so um uh and then so like they they have they finally have this funeral for ned Leeds, and then like two or three weeks later they do it again in spectacular yeah you're from right. a different point of so, view, you know what I mean. So it, it, they they are not synced up at this point in time in comics. So the fact that they halted everything and they they started a new story at, with like new artists and like just focused on this is like amazing and fantastic. And I I hope that this continues and that they can keep at least communicating with each other. Like I don't I don't need like big events like this more often necessarily, but. Just for them to, like, be coherent with each other and just communicate and have the same tone would be really cool.
0: Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, first we're going to uh, – let's talk about the art in this. Now, one mm-hmm. of the things is that originally they were going to release this over a six-month period, but they decided to release it over a six-week period. One of the downfalls of that is that the final issue is not completely drawn by Mike Zek. It's laid out by Mike Zek and, and penciled by Bob McLeod. But other than that, we've got six issues drawn by Mike Zek. And for the record, I will put my hand on the Bible and say he is one of the greatest artists <laughs> of the 80s. I love Mike Zeck. His cover's on G.I. Joe, what got me hooked, but his art on Captain America, his art on this is just mind-blowing. Uh, Tim, you're a huge fan of Mike Zeck, I assume, right?
4: I-, I am. I am. I mean, his stuff's got such power. Like, uh, th- like I remember when... When these issues were coming out, those covers just jumped, and the, and that mm-hmm. Punisher limited series. Anybody yes. didn't notice mm-hmm. those so covers? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Punisher returned to big nothing. I mean, he was he was airbrushing when no one else was doing it. It seemed like, and yeah, his stuff just really stood out. Really, really nice stuff.
0: It's, it's got power. It's got beauty. And I think my favorite mm-hmm. thing about him is that almost more than any other other artist I can think of is he is a master of um. I guess you could say perspective and foreshortening in. And the human anatomy because there's other artists that can do anatomy really well but he's the only guy that gets it just right of you know the arm being just the right you know if it's mm-hmm. coming towards you it's a little bit different if a face if it's turned up there's, a, there's always that slight almost like not i don't say fishbowl but he totally understands that perspective it which just blows my mind but uh gi julie what was your impression of the art in this story
2: by mike zack other than the fact that the oh sorry you're muted Mm -hmm. inks were really dark um i i really enjoyed the art it's like kind of the first time um everything (laughs) is super cohesive i really enjoyed that across all six issues the art was consistent Mm -hmm. um so it, it allowed me to kind of enjoy the stories more also the the rendering, like of architecture, the the perspective is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. The compositions are perfect. They're almost as if he doesn't have to think about it. That's the kind of artist this guy is. Like he just draws, um, and he knows what like scale is. Uh, it's it, like really effortless. There's like this one scene where what does he uh, in the first issue just because I have it open here, but, like, um, Craven is just kind of hanging out in a super tiny bathrobe <laughs> in the right. altar room of the... S- what, he has a cathedral inside his home?
0: Uh, I, don't yeah, know. I don't know. On the premises, I
2: think, <laughs> I yeah. yeah. It seems like he, like, walks from his library office like, like, mm-hmm. directly into um, what looks like a room of worship.
0: Yeah, where he
2: has that casket that he's going to um, that he's going to put uh, Spider-Man in. But like th- there's just like an overhead shot that's really far away and he's really tiny. But the scale is all perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's not like super overused like the there's like consideration for the whole composition of every panel together as well so like when you get to the part where um it, which is a part that really confused me well whatever it doesn't matter um it's like it's there to set spider-man apart from everybody else's character is where you go back to new york and he's at the funeral of somebody yeah th- of that thug and it's yeah. like exterior shot exterior shot exterior shot, uh, exterior establishing exterior establishing closer like and he gets closer and closer to the building that the bar that he's actually in um there's a lot of detail in there yet there isn't a lot of detail rendered and Mm -hmm. i really respect that because i feel like this is what this is the like epitome of comic art Mm -hmm. like yeah you know how the current comic book art is like super almost hyper realistic to me. That's Mm. not comic book art. Right. It's art that exists inside a comic book, but it's not, uh, it's not helpful for me as a reader. Yeah. It's gorgeous to look at and appreciate as art. But when I'm reading a book and uh, that includes images that need to be read along with the words, I expect the art to be like this, like a perfect sort of, combination of detail and words.
0: Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think you deserve a slow slow clap for that because that was exactly how I feel about art too. Yeah. You're right. It's super realistic but it still looks like a comic book. It doesn't look like a photo, like a airbrushed side of some guy's van. Right with hmm. like a girl in a bikini riding a, a snake or something, but anyway, and not a lot
4: of slash, not a lot of splash pages. Yeah. right, right, good point. Right, and, and I
1: think the attention to detail and adding that really helps with a story like this because there are so many moments throughout this that are just like silent panels there's no mm. dialogue there's no words it's just you looking at what's happening and and you're getting the story through that so yeah. the art is super important in this and it completely 100 pays off um especially the layouts and like understanding where where everybody is in space and like what's going on and mm-hmm. i was never once lost through this throughout this comic thinking like wait what just happened oh wait i've got to go back and reread <laughs> this like it was so so straightforward mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: yeah uh, besides the size of the panels dictated the pace of the story telling and it all mm-hmm. worked together there's a really great panel where i think spidey is now out of the grave but he's kind of pushed back and his back is to us but it overlaps these three panels of mm. craven craven's action i was like that's amazing that is exactly how that needs to be used and more people don't do it enough. Somebody recently, uh, they work with oh, they, uh, the Batwoman who just did the illustrations for Batwoman. You mean um, recently or
0: like ten years yeah, ago? Yeah, they have it's like, like, like JH L- like,
2: yes, Williams. That's it. JH Williams, he does this thing, like a, a beautiful splash page thing, where there's ah. there's uh f- figural work that overlays layouts. But to me, it's for him. It's like an artistry thing. But for Mike Zach, it's a storytelling vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like James
0: Williams, but me yeah, too. I agree with you. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I back, think oh, I sorry, think too.
1: The layouts really go hand in hand with the um, with the letters by Rick Parker and like the the boxes and how that's told is just so great. Um, the fact that we're getting like multiple different thoughts from the characters like we're getting almost like they're conscious talking to them like the angel and the devil Mm -hmm. um even within the same panel like almost as if the characters responding to their thoughts in their own head and it's fantastic and we see that throughout the issue with every character not just like spider-man and craven we get that with mj when she's in the apartment alone and she's scared and there's a rat Mm -hmm. and she kills it like she's she's she doesn't want to kill this thing she's just like scared and trying to get it out and then like she's in her own head about it and then just hits it and, and it's dead like it's there's so many moments like that that are just so powerful in this issue and it it 100 has to do with uh the layouts uh and the way that the, the the lettering is done
0: all right bex luther you haven't talked about the art yet what was your impression of the art
3: it's almost like when you work together, the product is better <laughs>
0: Yeah. than yeah. if
3: you just go, all right, you draw this, you write this, and we'll figure it out in post. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just one, Web of uh, 32 is pro- maybe one of the best and covers of all
2: mm-hmm.
3: time. Um, also, it's expensive. Oh, Wait, my God.
2: <laughs> the the lost one
3: out of the grave. Yeah.
0: oh it's so good I'm looking at it right now oh my god yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah um it's also very expensive
0: <laughs> I own it I got it just somewhere I got it for like a anyway. dollar I,
3: I think it is the most expensive of the web of covers mm. probably um, uh,
1: it's probably the most famous of all the web uh, web of covers yeah. like when I think of web of and and the first cover that comes to mind is this one for sure
3: yeah because the first thirty. Were uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah, fair, yeah. Fair, <laughs> fair.
1: The first one is uh, volturians
3: You know fair, fair, those fair. those f- favorite Marvel characters. Yeah. Um, um,
1: no, it must what When are we going to get the volturians last hunt? Right. Yeah. There you go. I need to know what are they up to.
3: You've got what were their names like? Squick or whatever. They had like yeah. weird like nonsense names. Um, it must have been so jarring to go from the previous Spider-Man stories that were kind of all over the place, and then to this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then to something that is so much together. Like, it is basically just a graphic novel, but separated into six parts in six issues, like, through monthly continuity.
2: Right. You could have easily
3: done a Marvel graphic novel, and this would have made sense, too.
2: Right, right, right. But
3: no, screw that. We're gonna put in continuity. Yeah, they just got married. Yeah, Ned Leeds maybe just died, or died three months ago. Who knows? Um... But yeah, the art of this is fantastic. I mean, I'm not gonna. What am I gonna say? It's bad. I hate it. <laughs> I don't really have much to add. Jolie pretty much said everything that I could have thought, but much more eloquently than I could have ever said it. So, um. Well. The art's, art's pretty and I like it and it helps me read the story. Just to give
0: you an idea. So, Tim, I dropped the <laughs> last issue before this uh-huh. one into the chat. Do you see that? Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. That's John Romita Jr., whom I love. But that gives you an idea of what the typical Spider-Man story was of this time, right? Like, just fighting a robot... I mean, I love it, but it's completely different from what we're reading right now, right? Check out next oh, issue
1: when
4: Peter Parker literally <laughs> fucking dies. Right.
2: Yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> you
1: know
4: what I <laughs> mean? Like, yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, Our I man remember this kills being. Himself.
4: I remember it being like uh, completely different and a little bit jarring. But looking back on it now, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what I was thinking. I can't remember exactly what I was thinking, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's like a complete. Like 180. Right, right.
0: So here's so. the thing. Now we we all clearly love this story. There's got to be something we don't like about it. I'll go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, not to say that this is a bad thing, but I've in the last two times that I've reread it, I've always felt that I'm not sure how much we need vermin in this story, and I'm not sure how much how how weird it feels that Craven kills himself in the second last chapter that we still have a full chapter to go with vermin but I'll, I'll start with you quickly Tim what did you feel about vermin's involvement was it jarring at all
4: or was he needed there? Uh, I, I don't know I wouldn't say they didn't need vermin they they, did, they didn't necessarily need vermin but they needed a villain it didn't necessarily okay. have to be vermin um I wish it would have been maybe another villain but uh so I agree with you that might be the weakest part for me but they needed a villain there and having Craven died the second last issue doesn't bother me at all because it's kind of like that's that's Craven's descent, followed okay. by Parker's ascension, right? And okay. the last issue. So I'm okay with that. probably the weakest part is the choice of Vermin, though. But I mean, still, it was a villain that we knew had defeated Spider-Man. And so he, he fit the bill, I guess.
0: I think also he'd been used in Captain America by JM Dematius and Mike mm-hmm. Zek, so they probably just brought him back. Yeah, I just yeah. always felt that it was a little bit inorganic to use this guy who we barely heard of but anyway that's that's interesting Uh, sorry
3: oh good i was gonna say i love the inclusion of vermin because he is this vile he's he's killing and eating people that's messed up but it's it's not his fault he's an innocent man who was turned into this a monster and he has he's hung like the hunger is controlling him so you have that craven who thinks a hero will just kill a killer? And then you have Spider-Man, who is like, I must save this guy, who's killed. Like he has to mm-hmm. save everybody, not just the good people. In quotes, I think, yeah, you could have used any other character that's kind of got that, where it's not fully his fault. But I feel like with with Vermin, it's so much like, oh, he just lives in the sewers. He's so lowly, but even like even Peter doesn't think that he's let. He's not deserving of help. I yeah. guess there's
0: also the animal motif, right? Animal hunter, Spider-Man, rat, vermin. But well, anyway.
3: there's, there's tons of Spider-Man villains that are animals. Right, <laughs> that's
1: true. Half of them. All yeah. of them? Uh, no, All I, I them, think
3: yeah. that... <laughs> Not the Greek goblin, That's
1: yeah, I mean, the yeah. only one. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. Uh, no, I think the vermin is what Craven thinks the spider is. Mm-hmm, it, okay. is it is the, the combination of, of monster and man, but where the monster has taken over so he, he craven views vermin and spider-man as the same thing they're both prey to him they're both these creatures that uh, that you know they're they're personas that have taken over so that's i think why it's so important to have a character like vermin and it doesn't have to be particularly him it could, they could have had Kurt connors in in the story right like they could have had the lizard he, the, we, we've seen the lizard uh recently i think so they could have had him back in the sewers and the lizard has taken over so they've got to like bring the the man out of the beast right so Mm -hmm. not that he is integral to the story but a character like that i think is super important um to show again that symmetry of Mm. how um (laughs) how either of these characters could have turned out
0: Okay, so is there anything else? Does anyone else want
2: to talk about anything? GI Jolie, was there anything you didn't like? Do you want to talk about vermin or anything mm, else? I really like that um, that sort of last final thought about vermin being the monster. One, he was. Uh, I I thought about him being the thing I didn't like about the books too, but then I was like, no, you really needed a cannibal, rat <laughs> <That> man, <laughs> in this book to like. Really show that there is true evil in the sewers. Because it's
4: not dark enough, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: it's not dark enough. <laughs> Let's have that. Because there's just like this, the one scene where there was like just that one black woman. She was like, "Oh, this is fine. Everything's fine." There's just like a rat creature in the streets, and I'm just gonna walk home. And like he gets her, mm-hmm. and that's like that's everybody walking home alone at 3 a.m.'s worst nightmare want to be cannibalized but also like to just be killed that's crazy mm. like the stakes are like weirdly high <laughs> in this book but where the stakes kind of aren't high and which w- would have probably been my least favorite thing about the book was like the Mary Jane thing
3: yeah it, okay
2: it, cuz it's just it, I I get it he's been missing for 2 weeks and then he reappears. This is really their opportunity uh to show what those relationship expectations or um like the like this is how this manifests. Uh they've been worried about this all along, but they went and got married anyway. This is these this what is happening with Craven right now is exactly what they feared would happen. It's happening. And mm. instead of Making it as serious as the rest of the book. They kind of have her pining away in the dark. At an open window. Like the rest of all the women who love Peter Parker. Again. And it's just like. Come on. uh, I get it. We got to focus on this rat man. And also Craven. But like. You didn't want to give. Like a full. It really could have made the story fuller. If they would have spent time on that relationship as well. Instead, he, like, he touches her face, like, weirdly, and then he, like, flies out the window. I don't know.
0: It was also, I think, rewritten at the last minute to fit the wedding in, or, or oh. the marriage in. I think that's probably why it mm. felt a little shoehorned in. Yeah. But yeah, it was definitely not perfect. Well, Go ahead, Becca.
3: I just, I don't, re- I agree with Julie fully. I don't remember where I read this, but, um, so sorry to whoever I'm, I'm quoting with. Just stealing your idea. Um, this was years ago too, so no look of looking it up. But yeah, when she goes to Joe Robertson, it's like why? Why is that her first choice of um, person? She's like, oh, Peter's missing. Let's go to his boss, who doesn't know he's Spider Man. What I was reading online was someone suggested, well, who who could Barry Jane go to? She, her husband is missing. It's been two weeks. Her husband's Spider Man. Who knows that Peter is Spider-Man and might give a shit? What if she got, went and talked to Felicia? Mm. I know Felicia's, like, got a boat or whatever, but, like, just for the <laughs> sake of the storyline, what sure. if she's like, I have nobody else to go to. Who else loves mm-hmm. Peter? Who could I talk to about this? Like, it just... it, it she, Mary Jane is completely alone in this whole story. And she almost gets assaulted in, in the rain, in the street once, before Craven That's saves right. her.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Like she's kind of just thrown in as such a damsel and I wish she just had a little bit more like maybe she could have figured out what happened to him like does she dig him up does she do anything Mm. She like yes the the Peter loving her part is great in the story but the Mary Jane part it just falls very flat she has no agency she does very little besides Pine Um, she goes to Joe Robertson and she's like, hey, man. And he's like, what, what are you doing, Mary Jane? And she's like, don't worry about it. And then leaves <laughs> and nobody questions it,
4: it. It is a throwaway scene, eh? It really mm. is. Yeah. Mm. So, like,
3: if we're going to have a throwaway Mary Jane scene, it, maybe, I don't know. Like, how many people know that Peter is Spider-Man?
2: hmm uh, Oh. Not, yeah. It, you bring up a good point, too, Becca, because even, even Peter himself speculates that he, Joe, like that Robbie might know. Or might Mm -hmm. suspect that he's Spider-Man. They could have had a really awesome scene where she was like talking about Peter missing. Him noticing that Peter's missing. But then also talking about Spider-Man. There could have been some like really cool Mm -hmm. stuff happening between her and Robbie but it was... That's what we got.
1: You could have even had MJ just like searching for him. You know what I mean? Like actually like trying to find him and then maybe when he escapes the grave like he's like wandering the streets and he's like lightheaded from not having any oxygen for two weeks yeah. uh you know what i mean like you know so he, he can't get himself home he can't swing and then she just happens to like bump it to him and she like brings him home like even even that at least she's like doing something mm-hmm. um
3: yeah. Yeah. So that's the only thing that really bothered me, and shockingly, it was the, the, the treatment of women in a comic book from a while ago. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. So one of the things we should mention is while this this it, this story does feature the suicide of Craven, he does eventually come back, of course. hmm Yeah. Who doesn't? 2009. So okay, he was dead for 22 years. That's pretty good by comic
1: book standards. Uh, when, and when they do bring him back, what's, what's nice is that he's pretty pissed off that he's back. It's like his, it's like his family, and, okay. relative, his family <laughs> yeah. and relatives, like mm-hmm. do some sort of like ritual or whatever. And they resurrect him. And he's like, why the hell? Like I went away for a reason. Like I chose this. Why did you bring me back? I think they also did a story too, where he was like a ghost and and Peter Wasn't that the follow-up? That
0: yes,
3: yeah, the, yeah. That was, because yeah. people were upset of the depiction of the the depiction of suicide right. as a positive thing, which yeah. I don't get that from this book at all. But people were mad about that, so they bring him back as a ghost to be like, "Nah, I wanted it." And it's like, I don't know if this works mm. or helps. Yeah, I guess
4: Mar- Marvel took a lot of flack for that, either, that suicide issue. I can hmm. imagine they did.
3: Oh, I'm sure. A man shoots himself <laughs> in the mouth. That's pretty.
4: Yeah. A lot. Yeah, yeah I don't I, think I, they I glorify
1: the, the... it, but it is pretty.
4: Well, they don't glorify it, but I mean, he he dies with what he believes is honor, right? So it's kind of like, it is glorified a bit, I suppose. But I know when that issue came out, people, some people only read that one issue and they got flack for that because they said Mm. that issue in and amongst itself is just about a guy committing suicide. And they, and Marvel got tons of negative letters for it, but they said, uh, you know, if you read the whole story, it makes sense. You can't just take one Mm -hmm. issue out of that. But mm-hmm. they did say that when they when they show it to the writer and the artist and everything, they said, well, we can see where that would have been, you know, taken out of context and, and seemed to glorify suicide a bit. But So I guess they took a lot of flack, though. But uh, I can see that. The
3: context is a, is a very, very mentally mm. ill man dying in a sad and tragic way. <laughs> That's the context, right? But right. meanwhile, it's like him going, I'm the greatest, and then shooting himself in the mouth. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. okay.
3: Maybe not the very, best, right? A very <laughs> drugged
4: up man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Potions which, and herbs, right? Which right. we all know is code for drugs.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so here's the thing. So, yes, there was uh, the sequel, Craven uh, Soul the Hunter, which I read. Don't remember it, sold it. There was also a What If issue. Uh, what If Craven Had Killed Spider Man, mm-hmm. which it'd be cool to read eventually. That's awesome. And I, the most important one of all, though, is the issue of what the featuring Raven's last hunt, where the villain Raven <laughs> hunts down Spider Ham? Okay, that's, that's my favorite version of the story. We should review that on this uh, on this I would uh, podcast. Love to. Yes, <laughs> but anyway, um, I guess the final word is. I mean, I, I think I know what you're all going to say. Do we recommend this issue, Tim Gerard? Do you recommend the story to comic book readers?
4: I do absolutely. I mean, it, it's such a I think it's a much more layered story than anybody that read Spider-Man that time period especially would have read. Um, I think it's a it's kind of like a it's it's a very I don't want to say grotesque, but it's a it's a very hardcore story. It's 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 kind of it's almost spiritual in a way, too. Right. Because, mm. I mean, I know I know the writer, De Matias, he's a very spiritual guy and a lot of oh, his know other oh. works. Yeah, a lot of his other works deal with a lot of spiritual stuff and a lot of coming-of-age stuff. And um, But yeah, I think it's... I still think it's the best Spider-Man story, I really do. I mean, granted, I haven't read a lot of the more current stuff, but I can't imagine anything much more layered or satisfying than this story.
0: Well, if you can't imagine something better, you should read the Marvel team-up issue with Turner D. Century, <laughs> featuring a supervillain looking that can ride a bike through the sky. Okay, so that's where you should start with more Spider-Man right. stories.
2: Do you you have that
4: copy? Can I borrow that
0: copy? We can send it to you, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Easily.
1: Okay,
0: Josh, do you recommend this story?
1: Yeah, of course. This is like one of the most quintessential Spider-Man stories. One of the most quintessential like comic stories. Um, It's really great. Self-contained. So like if you're interested in Spider-Man, this is a really good jumping in point to get like a really – Good understanding of him and his villains, and like his relationship with them. Um, yeah, this is a definite read.
0: Awesome, G.I. Jolie, do you recommend this one?
2: Yeah, and <laughs> I keep hearing. Sorry, I just I keep hearing Paul, our you know, our one true fan. And just why are you reviewing books if you don't like them? It's like, no, Paul. Mm. Do you know what I? The, the, my my recommendation will always be like, yeah, the final word, um, to him. I don't. I didn't hate this one. I actually really liked it. If I felt like I hated it or was annoyed by it at first, um, but yeah, I recommend it. Uh, when they say this, like you have to read it because in the pantheon of all Spider-Man, uh, stories. You have to read this or you have to read the death of these people it's like i didn't really think that that any of those other stories were as cool or as hard-hitting as this one Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much there's so much like tim was saying there's so many layers um to kind of peel back and discover there's a lot of substance in these six issues and even Parker snorting agrees with me. <laughs> like that, this is this is for sure. When they say, "Yeah, read Craven," it has it's one of those ones you have to spidey books you have to read. Um, they they are in fact correct. Read it first.
4: <laughs> All right,
2: there
0: you go. Okay, uh, Bex Luther.
3: Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, this is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories. This is one of my favorite comic book stories of all time actually um, that doesn't feature a woman as the main character because if that's true then this is like my 400th favorite story because I'm a misogynist <laughs> or a misandrist sorry um, no I yeah obviously you have to if you think you like comic books at all you have to read Creightman's Last Hunt unless you're I, I don't know it's just one of those things that, that once you start getting into comic books and if you care at all about the past or the history or the characters and how they've grown or anything this is this is definitely on your list of marvel must reads <laughs> um especially because there's so much continuity in these six issues and you don't need to have to know any of it right. to understand this story you could pick up the collected edition of craven's last hunt and read it issue one to six, part one to six, and, and and get exactly what the writer's intention was without having to know anything else right. about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think maybe the 12-year-olds who were reading Web of at the time should have just <laughs> jumped in on this? Maybe not. It's a little bit of a heavier material, but if you're already reading Spider-Man, then you have those conversations with your parents. You go, hey, man, mom, this guy shot himself in the head. Why? And you're like, well, son, you know, life's hard. It's a good. It's a good story. What do you want from me? Yeah, read Cra- the hottest take. Read Craven's last time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and,
4: and he doesn't. Even, and he doesn't even use a pistol. He, ta- he puts a shotgun in his mouth. Yeah. So.
0: Right. <laughs> like, like, it's wild. Yeah. It's still shocking.
4: And then the blood is. Then the blood is all over the picture of his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's rough stuff. Yep.
0: Yeah.
3: So yeah, you know what? I think oh, go ahead. Becca. They're making the movie based. This is they said that they're a Craven solo movie, which will make no sense without <laughs> Spider Man. No I know. Like you know what? Maybe you can make a Venom movie without Spider Man. Maybe they tried. Can you make a Craven's Last Hunt movie without Spider Man? That's the point, right? Right, right. <laughs> so if if that's true, if their Craven solo movie is going to be based on this at all, that means they have to have a spider wait becca so. no
0: they can make it with wonder man there you go there
3: we go I think, <laughs> uh, um, sony can't use wonder man because wonder man was in a poster in the first guardians of the galaxy okay, movie okay. so disney owns hi <laughs> bosh right.
0: so yeah i definitely recommend it but one thing i will say is even though it's probably one of the best spider-man story re- stories we've reviewed it probably should have been a batman story or a wonder man story But it still is great, and I still recommend it. It's the most coherent, most artistic, most uh, cohesive uh, Spider-Man story we've probably read in a long time, if not on our entire podcast. So, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Before we go, though, Tim, tell everybody, we didn't really talk about this much, quickly tell everybody about Border City Comics. Where can they find Border City Comics?
4: Uh, We are at 4449 Tecumseh Road East, uh, about a block and a half west of Palette on Tecumseh Road there. And we're open uh, Tuesday through Saturday.
0: Okay. Now, I know that you've moved locations a few times, but how long yep. have you guys been in business? Complete uh, in entirety?
4: Uh, like 35 years.
0: Yeah. Aren't you coming up on the 35th anniversary?
4: Yep. When's yep, that I think, it's, be? I, think it's, I think it's I think it's a summer. I think it's... I want to say it's... God, I should have had this written down, right? <laughs> uh, I want to say it's like June or July.
0: Okay. Well, <coughs> be sure... So you guys are on Facebook. You're on Google. So people can find you, though, right? Yep. And as far as if you're a fan of variant covers, you guys have the best deals in town, right?
4: I like to think so. I hope so. (laughs) So We try.
0: Yeah, and you guys have a big variety of back issues. You have a huge variety of. uh, Also, toys, DVDs, right? Like, you have a lot of. Like, old Uh, collectibles and stuff, right?
3: Yeah, we have
4: some odd. We have have, have some odd toy collectibles. We don't have, like, the large selection of newer toys. Okay. Like some other stores. That's not our specialty, but. Yeah, we have a we have a wide variety of different stuff though. We have like very eclectic uh, mix of stuff.
0: Excellent. And if anyone's interested in seeing more from Border City, there's tons of videos we've done there on Comic Book Syndicate. Right over the years, we've done uh, reviews of of comics. I know one of my favorite features we did was um, four uh, Superman imitators that are better than Superman. That was a, that was a good one. Another good one was top ten favorite artists of all <laughs> time. And I'd like to follow that up one day: top ten worst artists. So we'll have to get on that. Maybe in the summer we'll, we'll work on that segment, okay? <laughs>
4: all right. All right. Uh, o- only top 10?
0: Well, maybe we can do a top 100 then. It'll be a long segment. No, no. fit it in, yeah. Anyway, okay, we definitely want to thank you for joining us, Tim. I Just so you know, when thank we you. started this podcast two and a half years ago, I knew episode 127
4: was going to have Tim Gerrard <laughs> because this is his favorite
0: story. So I'm glad it all worked out.
4: Me too. All me right. too. Thanks, guys. Thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: for there you go. Be sure to join us next week, everybody, because uh, Josh mentioned earlier that he hopes Spider-Man, you know, keeps the momentum up. Well, guess what? <laughs> next week we're reviewing <laughs> Life in the Mad Dog Ward, which crosses over into all three Spider-Man titles, written by Senti drawn by Cindy Martin So it's going to be another good one. So be sure to join us next week, and our guest is Andrew Helmer. So be sure to be here for that. Mm, nice. Yep. And Josh, you can take it from
1: here. Yeah, we want to thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, please know, let us know what you guys think about the issues we're talking about. Uh, let us know what you guys think about Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, uh, you can leave us a review over on Apple Podcast or drop us a line on Twitter at, at HCTSpiderCast. Or you can find us at uh, Comic Book Syndicate on Facebook as well. Leave us a comment or uh, send us a... Send us a send us a little shout out.
0: All right. So until next Monday, <laughs> see you later.